how can ski racing have less standing around? Ooh, less standing around. Is it possible? Um, to a certain extent, no. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. And off we go. I'm your host, Alex Kaufman. With the Killington World Cup in the rear view, but still fresh on the mind, Wintry Mix episode 38 got me in my truck to visit with podcast supporter World Cup Supply. These guys live and breathe ski racing, snow safety, and event equipment. They supplied most everything above the base area that built the racing venue at Killington, and they do the same all over North and South America, Australia, and New Zealand. What follows is a rare look behind the scenes of one of the foremost suppliers of event and snow safety equipment used by ski patrol, lift ops, event teams, and ski racing professionals at resorts around the world. And racing noobs like me will learn a thing or two, or ten. Stay with us. Season three of Wintry Mix is supported by. All right, get on a plane, fly to Salt Lake City, and devour the powder at Snowbird in Little Cottonwood Canyon. With 500 inches average annual snowfall, seven minute tram rides to the summit, and over 3,000 vertical feet, this will make your season. Check out fourth night free slopeside lodging options or visit with your mountain collective pass. Snowbird.com is step one. Step two is follow Snowbird on social to stay stoked until you arrive. World Cup Supply has served the ski resort, race, and event industry since 1991. Visit worldcupsupply.com to see the complete selection of race gates, safety, and crowd control fencing, on-hill tools, poles, nets, you name it. If you are running a ski resort, an event, or an event at a ski resort, then trust World Cup Supply for the gear that ensures safety and success. Over 250 ski areas use Liftopia to reach millions of skiers and riders planning their trips. But what you might not know is that Liftopia's cloud store is also the most widely used e-commerce ticketing technology for ski area websites, with over 100 North American ski resorts using the platform. Your team, your strategy, your customers partnered with the best e-commerce support and technology in the industry. Visit Liftopia.com and click platform to learn more or email partners at liftopia.com to schedule a call today. Uh, my name is Brad Williams, and I'm the president and owner of World Cup Supply. Uh, founded in 1991 by uh, two sisters, uh, Penny Surjane and Donna Richardson, uh, run out of their barn in East Thetford, Vermont, for many years before they relocated to Fairley. And uh, we are now this year celebrating our 20th, 25th anniversary in, in our new location in Bradford, where we've been for just a little over two years now. I'm Bob Kimball. I'm the Director of Sales and Product Development at World Cup Supply. Well, I think, you know, uh, certainly the company has, has roots deep in racing, um, but over the last 25 years, they've tried to diversify into kind of a three-pronged attack on both the race side of things, the resort and mountain operations, um, 
uh, side of things, and, and certainly events. And we do quite a bit in summer events as well. Okay, guys, I'm going to start you off pretty simple here. Brad, when did you first bash a gate? When I was nine years old. Stratton. Yeah. And uh, my racing career was short, though. <laughs> Very short. Uh, first time I bashed a gate, uh, it was actually bamboo, and I was probably six or seven years old at the Springfield Ski Club in Blanford, Massachusetts. And you are selling to who? Who are your customers? Everything from nonprofits and race clubs um, to uh, national teams. We're the official sponsor of both the United States Ski Team and the uh, Alpine Canada Alpine, the Canadian Ski Team, um, and really across all resorts and, and event uh, operators. We deal with the Mountain Dew, excuse me, the Dew Tour. We deal with uh, ESPN X Games um, and, uh, and quite a variety of different events, both winter and summer, as well as our core business in ski racing safety and providing infrastructure for races and teams. So ski racing in the news recently, obviously from the World Cup at Killington uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, you guys had a major role in that, if I understand correctly. Uh, give me a better idea. We were very present at, uh, at Killington. Uh, we supplied uh, the competitors' bibs. We supplied the gates used. We supplied the panels. We supplied the air pads used to create the finish area. Uh, purchases over the years probably had uh, a good portion, if not most, of the B net on the hill came from us. Uh, what else did we do, Bob? Uh, it was a long list. that um, came... Uh, Took about six uh, six months to put together. Um, includes tower nets, um, willy bags, and other safety padding on the hill. Branded fencing, fence poles, rope, volunteer bibs for the gatekeepers, as well as quite a bit of souvenir bibs that we provided for for you know younger athletes and kids to get autographed. And World Cup Supply being the name. Uh, Brad, how many World Cups you been to? I would say being involved with the company here, probably uh, twenty. Uh, and then a bunch more uh, prior to my involvement with the, in Europe, um, Kitzbühel, uh, Wengen, uh, Schladming, uh, finals, uh, world championships, uh, yeah, a bunch. But it's not limited to ski racing, if I understand correctly. Uh, what percentage of your business is ski racing compared to servicing events of all other types? I would say, you know, in just a broad strokes, we're probably at 50% of hard our core racing product, B-Net gates, um, very specific things for ski teams. And the rest of the business is spread out over mountain operations, events, um, branded items like fabric fence uh, for you know, both uh, uh, companies and events. Um, it's, it's quite a large swath of products that we sell. Um, but I would say the most part, um, that other 50% is divided up in between resorts and events. Is ski racing growing? And if it isn't... Um what are your thoughts on how to grow it? I mean, what happened to NASTAR? I used to bash gates on the resort as a public. I mean, what happened to that? Yeah, some people would say that it's it's not the wisest business uh, to be in if you're looking to grow 25-30% a year. However, um, there is there is growth opportunity, and, and um, you mentioned NASTAR. NASTAR has just been – the NASTAR brand was recently purchased by USSA, uh, and as a result of that, there will be revitalization in NASTAR. And in fact, we are very much involved in that in the sense that we are going to be providing all new branded panels to all of the NASTAR resorts. And that will compri be comprised of about 3,600 gate panels that have been produced and are arriving on hopefully on Tuesday next week. And then we have to get them out to the resorts by the 15th. So we have a day and a half to get them to the resorts once they arrive. So, um, but in terms of uh, growth, uh, no, there, there aren't, 
there aren't five new ski areas coming up uh, every year. Um, consolidation, some are changing hands, so that changes the, the landscape a little bit. Uh, there aren't new race clubs being formed every year. The good news is is that uh, we grow. We have been successful in growing our business by uh, being innovative with our products. Uh, the brush grip base was a product that was uh, I was involved in the development of, uh, which re- replaced the screw base. Um, that was a huge, uh, huge innovation not only for the industry and the the only technological change in ski racing. Um, infrastructure equipment and probably the last since the hinge um, about 20 years ago and uh, that product alone uh, had a significant impact on bringing customers to us uh, from our competition people that had never purchased from us before so the actual sport of ski racing participation in ski racing what helps to to drive that into the future well i think that's a really good question um you know ski racing uh is a a sport that requires a, a certain amount of commitment because of what's involved. Um, I think one of the things that in looking at Killington and, and, and the, the things that happened around Killington, one of the really um, new factors in, in creating excitement for the junior athletes is social networking. Um, the fact that most of these athletes, both on the Women's World Cup and Men's World Cup, are really out there in, in, in social networks and Instagram and Facebook and are engaging with their fans on a much more personal level than in previous years. Um, there's much more of an attachment. There's much more of a sense of the excitement and the lifestyle um, of ski racing and what these athletes are, are, are trying to accomplish and what they're engaging in. Um, much like air traffic control, the international language of, uh, of ski racing is English now, it seems, not necessarily French or German. And that, I think, is largely driven because of the American entertainment industry and, and business climate and these other athletes from Europe um, and Asia and all over the world um, that are really reaching out to their fans in English almost exclusively, whether they're from Austria, Norway, or wherever. And I think that there's a lot of new athletes that are, have, have started in the sport that are feeding off that energy. And I think a bit of that is getting you know, spread out to, to recreational skiers as well. So running events, running ski races, high stress environment. You guys must get some panic phone calls. What, what are they about? What happens on those panic phone calls? Uh, last week, Lake Louise, they needed three inflatable air pads for photographers on the hill. They called us on Tuesday, and the pads needed to be in Canada by Wednesday. Um, <laughs> that that was a panic call, and we we can do we can pull a lot of rabbits out of our hat um, and can solve a lot of problems. But this one we couldn't help help them with. Even though we had what they needed, we couldn't get it there in time. And if we were going to get it there in time, it would have been a very long drive, and it would have been extremely expensive. <laughs> Yeah. Um, panic calls all the time. Uh, event going on a week from the event. Somebody realizes, uh, ski racing event, somebody realizes we don't have any bibs. Uh, we've had to produce 200 bibs in two days. What other ones can you think of? I mean, they're, they're... It's, a, it's a fairly routine thing. Um, it, it really is. And I think that um, it has created a certain sense um, among our staff of creative problem solving, um, trying to come up with solutions that uh, that are practical and effective um, for events. Certainly, an event has a fixed date. 
Um, there is no day after. You know, the event has to go off on a, on a specific timeline. So that creates uh, quite a bit of anxiety and stress to get things at the right place at the right time. Um, in larger events, when you know, specifically sponsorships aren't aren't sold early enough, um, there can be last minute rushes to get branding for different companies that have stepped in to to take sponsorship. And we see it every everything from a World Cup event to a summer 5K where. Uh, they need numbers, and uh, they've had a maybe 10, 200 people the year before. Now they have 1,000 people and realize they need something, and they need to get it quickly. So how often do you guys have chuckles with phone calls that are calling you up, and, and they're angry, or um, they're struggling with rolling up their B-net? How, how much consternation do you have to deal with on a regular basis of the storage of B-net? Uh, it's, there is a lot of – let me rephrase. There are a lot of local experts – that are fantastic. Um, they're volunteers. They're um, coaches that are, are not really doing it for the money. They're doing it for the joy of the sport. Let, let me slow you down there. Let me make that question a little easier. What are three things not to do with your bean at? Don't leave it outside in the snow. Don't leave it laying down. Um, and don't let the mice get at it. And what are three things to do with your bean at? Store it vertically. Store it in a, in a covered, well-ventilated area. And keep it dry. There we go. We just we just saved all sorts of trouble for you. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> so before we hit the tour, um, locally, uh, there's been some upgrades, some changes coming to Cannon at the Mittersill area in regards to ski racing. I think you guys are involved in that a little bit. Uh, what kind of light can you shed? Well, Mittersill is a significant project um, with a partnership in New Hampshire, the Franconia Ski Club, the Holderness School, and the state of New Hampshire. Uh, and we're involved um, helping them uh, properly deploy safety on the hill through an A-net system, two A-net systems, which are significant safety netting systems. Uh, they're permanent structures uh, that require tower installation in the summertime. Um, it's about 250 meters of net on their, I wouldn't say new trail, but refurbished trail, Barron's Run, uh, from the original Mittersill ski area, that's going to be one of the top uh, training venues for both Giant Slalom and, and Super G on the East Coast as well as a, quite a large slalom venue uh, that they'll be developing uh, that can hold a significant number of training runs. Really, the, 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 one of the coolest things about Mittersill is that Cannon was the host to the first World Cup race in, in the U.S., and that was in 1967. And Jean-Claude Keeley won uh, all the events that year. And the the real dream is to have a World Cup event at Mittersill, which is right next door to Cannon, and, and bring all that back. The cool thing that's happening this year at Mittersill is NCAA's will be there um, in the spring, and that's a pretty pretty significant high profile event. Um, most of the the kids coming onto the pro or onto the World Cup scene are going to are are there, um, and the colleges from and universities from all across the U.S. are. are are all going to be there, and it's it's an it's an impressive track, um, and and it's, it's it's the best part about it is it's going to be a really really safe venue, really safe venue. All right, enough office talk. Let's go check this place out. You asked how many World Cups? Oh my gosh! Gone to. Not only is this World Cup, this is. Uh, Every event we've got Aspen. Just start reading, yeah. We've got Aspen, Lake Louise, Beaver Creek, uh, Whistler, Canada Winter Games, uh, Schladming, 
There's World Cup Finals in Hafjell, Norway, uh, in Kvitsjell. Uh, yeah, there's Vail, Lake Louise, Squaw Valley. Uh, where else? What do you think the oldest one in there is? The oldest one in here for me is far and away uh, the Schladming one. That was, uh, when was this? Is there a year? That is an amazing pilot credentials. That's 2001, 2002 Schladming. We got in on the media credential for that one. <laughs> so it's fun to collect these things and you sort of look back and you go, oh my God, I've been to all those things. Cool. Hi. Jeanette, say hi to Alex Kaufman. Come here, Jeanette. We're hi, on the tour Alex. now. Nice to meet you. Nice what to do meet you do here, Jeanette? Um, all sorts. <laughs> um, well, I've been here for 15 years, and I've covered admin, basically, and now I do website. More than that. But, uh, reporting. You're, you, you are, you are the, the chief cook and bottle washer at World Cup Supply, <laughs> and you, are the har you harbor all the institutional knowledge of this business. And if anyone has a question, Jeanette can answer it. Jeanette, who's your favorite customer? My favorite customer? Hmm, maybe Peter Tilton from USSA. <laughs> yeah. There we go. He'll like that. Bob's office. Bob's office. Yeah. Bob, your office is too organized for me. I'm sorry. Wait, you should have been here a week ago. <laughs> quite a few cowbells that I've, uh, I had and inherited. So I have developed a small but loud cowbell collection here. Um, Salt Lake City, U.S. Ski Team, and World Championships. Uh, we actually brought some of the World Championship uh, cowbells to Killington as a fundraiser for both Vermont Adaptive and the Kelly Brush Foundation. And sold out of cowbells in about five minutes. What's that one? That's just a big loud noisemaker. Okay. I didn't know if that was like the original. Different tone. Okay. What's going on, Keith? Hey, hey Alex. Hi, Alex. Nice to meet you. What are you working on, Keith? I'm currently working on a Blaine High School uh, bib design for their downhill team. Um, they're from Minnesota, actually. Uh, rehatching an older one from 2007, trying to upgrade it a bit. Other than bibs, what else are you designing for customers? Uh, pretty much anything. A lot of bike plates, a lot of uh, ski panels. Catalogs. Yeah, catalogs and... Uh, Facebook features and constant contact things for our monthly news blasts. So you guys have a, a paper catalog right over there, huh? Let's get a look at that puppy. It's our call to action. Yes, it is. All right, what should I buy? What am I seeing here? So this buy, is the ANET system. You should buy an ANET system. I should put it up in my yard. Put it up in your yard and then buy 500 gates to go along with that. That would be a wonderful thing for you. How much does 500 gates cost? 500 gates will be about $20,000. I don't know if I got the vert to, to uh, support that, yeah. but oh, they come carrying cases for uh, yep, yeah. a lot of a lot of backpacks, uh, clothing bags, uh, some apparel, uh, then tools for the hill. This is a, a great raincoat that we've been actually ma it's made in Vermont. Uh, by of course, it is by Lori Ford Designs, and uh, those have actually been doing pretty well for us. Tools. Yeah. Rakes, rakes galore. Rakes galore. Bibs. Fence poles, fence poles, fence poles. There's a fence pole for everything that you could even imagine. What's changed in fence poles in the last decade, if anything? Polycarbonate uh, versus bamboo. Probably the biggest thing. And polycarbonate's safer. It lasts longer. And uh, bamboo is hard to come by. Signs.
Do you get requests for signs that are like not designed? You have to make some weird signs that you wouldn't expect. Uh, nothing too off the wall, but yeah, a lot of stuff to do with the the hill. I mean, a lot of it gets into like snowmobile trails and that sort of thing. A little get off the ski trails, but um, and then the biking events are fun to work on. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Keith. Let's keep moving. Thank you. Right. How's it going, John? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Where are you from, John? I'm from uh, Lindenville, Vermont. What am I looking at here? You look you look like you're in uh, receivables or something like that. I'm sales. Okay. Yeah. So I answer the phone and take orders for all sorts of stuff. What what order are you working on right now? Uh, just some quotes for some local ski areas for uh, some gates and uh, coaching materials and then some bibs. You're also a freestyle coach, right, John? Yes, I, I coach uh, the Burke Freestyle team on the weekends, uh, starting next weekend, actually. It uh, goes all the way from December 17th to the end of April. Well, then give us the, uh, give us the update. What's new at Burke? What should we expect from the freestyle program up there? <laughs> you just opened up a can of worms, but, uh, <laughs> well, there's a hotel at Burke this year that's finally open, and uh, operations are going well up there. Um, this is our second year with a snowboard team uh, for us, and uh, the numbers for our team is growing each year. And every year we go out to uh, to Copper Mountain for nationals. We have a few kids that do pretty well out there. Usually get top five uh, from a little mountain in Vermont, so it's it's pretty great. It's fun. Nice. Well, we'll let you get back to it. Thanks a lot. Cool. No problem. Thanks. How do you say this? What What are the Chemineer space makers? Well, you talked about can things go wrong. This is great. This this is one that I'm wrong. Sh- Chemineer, that who's doing who's working on these? Monica. Monica. So this was it's for a bowling team. And what was it? This what was this supposed to be? Oh, this was supposed to be spare, and that went to our manufacturer of these up in Canada, and this is how they came back. So what do you do with those? Um, do you want one? I don't know if my kid would wear it. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do have. We do have sometimes some difficulty between mock-up and production. Um, and some this, language barrier occasionally. And, well, yeah, occasionally, and this this is this is one of them. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, five hundred of these didn't go. No, that was, no it's a bowling team. Just so six of them or eight of them. Good, team good, team good, good. All right. Let's go to the warehouse. All right. So hold on. Before I get in there, what am I, these are. We have this, this entry display of SPM technology. You're looking at uh, basically the, the flagship products from SPM, which are their gates. And so what, what has happened, this, that's the brush grip base. Right, that used to be a screw, and now it's a brush. It's a screw, and it's, it's lighter. It's 50%, 50% more efficient. It's uh, just it's really changed the way that, that coaches work on the hill. Um, this is also a pretty cool new product. This is called New Boo. And when bamboo was uh, very difficult to obtain, we tr- developed a, basically a, a synthetic substitute that's made out of polycarbonate. It's um, safer in that it doesn't shatter. Um, the only real difference between the two products in terms of performance is that this is a little... Um, a little. Uh, it looks a bit more flexible. It's not as stiff. And so some resorts that have tried it have decided that they don't like it. And their one particular resort has, has named it New Poo uh, instead of it versus New Boo. Which, but they're still, they're still buying it from us, though. <laughs> so they're still using it. They just, yeah, they just like to complain about it. What temperature do you keep the warehouse at? 40. <laughs> really? No, it feels like a good 57 in here. We, we, yeah. I keep my office at like 61. Cold storage. Cold storage. 
there's some stuff that's been here for a very long time uh, and some stuff that we can't keep in the door. Right now, the, the biggest or fastest moving items that we have is rope. Uh, we cannot seem to have enough rope right now. Uh, uh, what sign do you sell the most? I'm looking at stay in the towpath, remain standing, no downhill loading, check for loose clothing and equipment, no downhill loading, do not load here. What sign moves the most? Notice, do not enter authorized personnel only. That's the number one sign? That's probably, yeah, that's pretty close. And, and then we will go to the marking discs. Orange closed marking discs. Oh yes, orange closed marking discs. No. And for, hopefully this year, we won't be seeing a lot of these on the hill because caution should not be used when there's lots of snow. So low snow years, you saw more caution discs. Yeah. No. <laughs> Rocks. Yeah. Hazards. Uh, oh, some new boo came in. Yep. So that's that fake boo, right? Here's the fake boo. 2,500 sticks of this. And this may all be sold already. So is it hard to get your hands on boo? What's causing the market to, to need fake boo? For several years, there were only two importers of bamboo in North America. Uh, both of those businesses, uh, one of them has shut down, the other one is going through some difficult times. And basically, the, 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 it's, it's a real challenge to bring bamboo into the country. It's a natural product that has to be fumigated um, and has to have the appropriate documentation. Um, it requires inspection by uh, Customs and Border Patrol such that if there's an inspector that isn't satisfied with the, BAM, with the certification and, and documents that have come in with the shipment, um, they can seize it, they can destroy it. So it's somewhat of a crapshoot about whether or not you're going to get it. Uh, we brought in two 20-foot containers, one here to Vermont and one to Salt Lake and knock on wood. The first one came and was uh, accepted at Customs, no problem. And the other one arrives in Vermont uh, tomorrow. And we have sold every stick of the 40,000 that we purchased and we will not have any more this year. We probably could have sold 60 to 80,000 sticks of bamboo. So the original boo was coming from what country? Thailand. It comes packaged in bundles of 25. It, it's, a, it's a very, what we, I would call a clean product in terms of how it comes to us and, and the quality that we get. It's taped um, and it's done by an extremely small company. We've seen the photographs, never met the people, but seen the photographs of where, where they're actually putting it all together and the how they dry it out when, after it's harvested. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, and there, is, there will always be demand for natural bamboo. And then, but this, this synthetic substitute definitely has, has taken hold with some resorts um, who prefer it over traditional bin. Well, if we're headed for trade wars, this is going to be the business to be in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gates, gates, gates. Gates, gates, gates. And this is a gate panel. Uh, this is for Ski Round Top. Yep. Yeah, Ski Round Top Race Club. These are what are called FIS homologated panels, so they're legal. Uh, I watched your video on your website where it says not to like flip one side over yeah, when you're trying to have it not be windy. Yeah, butterfly. Butterfly. Uh, and this release system is is important because if the if a athlete straddles a gate, a GS gate, and puts their arm in between the two gates that are supporting the panel, or puts their leg through that and the panel doesn't release, you have potential for some pretty serious injury. 
You're using most of your square footage, but you got a little extra room. I mean, is this is this how it typically looks, or does it flex throughout the season as far as stock? You will you will see. In uh, we have two more containers on the water, um, so in four, in three weeks uh, this place will be packed again, and then in four weeks it'll be close to empty, and then we'll have another container, and then we'll go through the cycle probably three times. We have we turn inventory a little over five times a year. Yeah, so stuff's not sitting very long. Not a lot of dust. No. What are these? These are just... Willy bags. Willy bags. Yep. Named after... I don't know what a willy bag is. Named after... There, there is a man uh, that these are named after, and, and I can't remember his last name. His first name is Willy. Uh, fill them up with styrofoam peanuts, uh, crushed pieces or uh, cut pieces of foam from a mattress, put them around the hazard, and it keeps people from getting hurt when they bump into it. And a pole for every... Purpose known to man. What percentage of your business is poles? Well, if you break it out, if you include gates. Every imaginable pole-oriented item. Uh, it's going to be about uh, 30%. Hey, man. There's business in the sticks. Sticks. <laughs> All right. Here, here comes the fun one. I still got Brad. I still got Bob. What do you guys disagree about the most? What, what do you stay up here late? You guys have had a couple beers. It's like 10 o'clock. And you're strategically, you're talking about the 30,000 foot level of this business. What ends up being a 45 minute conversation? There's got to be an anecdote. There's got to be something. I'm pretty impatient. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty impatient. <laughs> I'm pretty, and I, I, I fashion myself a, a perfectionist without being perfect. Yeah, he's an impatient perfectionist. But you've learned to deal with it. I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> he's still here. <laughs> Because, it, because most of what we do is time sensitive, um, we've got to dot the I's and cross the T's. And we have to be able to turn on a dime and be responsive. And uh, that's just keeping all the balls in the air and knowing how to get something done, who to, who to work with to get it done. And uh, we're, we've, we're really good at that, we think. Is this the personal setup? You guys are waxing your gear here or what? Every, we're always ready to go skiing. We don't ski as much as people think we do. No, we don't. No, none of us do. Everybody thinks, oh, you work in skiing, you yeah, ski yeah. a lot. It's kind of like, no, you run a restaurant, you don't eat out at restaurants. We, we stand on the hill a lot. We take laps on the hill a lot uh, at events. We talk to people a lot on the hill. So it's sometimes very hard. It, for me, it's very hard to be at a ski area and not think about work. All right. This is your big opportunity here, either of you. You can, you can solve the biggest problem that I'm aware of in ski racing, okay? How can ski racing have less standing around? Ooh, less standing around. Is it possible? Um, to a certain extent, no. Chinese downhill. <laughs> Chinese downhill. You know, the, the old adage, and, and uh, I coached speed for a, a few years in, in downhill, women's downhill specifically, um, you can't control the weather, and learning how to deal with that standing around and uh and manage that waiting is uh is a skill and takes a lot of experience and it takes for younger athletes that are coming on to uh especially race speed um, to get used to being at a ski resort for a week and if the weather turns not being able to train or ski as much and how to make use of that time and and do it without going slowly insane is uh, is an art becomes part of the mental challenge of the sport yeah for sure ski racing can be pretty boring to watch honestly 
Bitgate. So how, how do we fix that? How do we fix that? We, we can look at different formats. We can look at dual. We can look at um, some of the technology that's available from a video per perspective, i.e. Um, layering one athlete over another on the same run that, that when they've come down at different times is very exciting. When you think about any other sport other than ski racing, there's a when the, when the competition occurs, there's a visual winner. Somebody crosses the finish line first. Somebody scores a touchdown against another team. So there's a winner and a loser. In ski racing, you don't have that, that excitement uh, as someone's coming down a run, unless it's Michaela Schifrin or Lindsey Vaughn or somebody coming down the last skier of the day and they're in second place by three-tenths of a second and they've got to pull a ripping good run to, to stay in the lead. That's, that's when it gets exciting. But when you get to racer number 56, 65, um, that's when you'll see the crowd dwindle to 30 people. There's not a lot going on. There, there is a movement afoot and, and to, to make uh, ski racing more of an event uh, with multiple activities happening simultaneously um, and uh, combining, there's, there's movement afoot to combine uh, freestyle, snowboarding, cross, and alpine um, into, say, one large event versus just having one discipline as the event. That will bring more people in, it'll make it more interesting, and combining music and other entertainment really, and the Europeans are, are doing that to some degree with the Alpine Rock Fest that, that was around for a couple of years, that was a great idea, um, a dual format, and then with lots of music, uh, happened a couple of years in, in Italy, and there's also discussion about resurrecting the Pro Tour here. There, there's sponsorships been secured, and I think we may see that, and that's sort of the same model where you're going to have a dual format situation where you are going to, have to see somebody win and somebody lose in the knockout. And, and from a spectator standpoint, that makes it more interesting. It makes it more interesting on TV, too. I remember as a kid watching the Mare Brothers dueling with those drops in the GS, and, and I wasn't even a ski racer, but I remember that 20 years later. Right, and that, 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 there is the, the real possibility that we're going to see some resurgence of that. And, and I think the athletes are... are as they think about the longevity of their career, they're, they're oftentimes looking for opportunities like that. Some of them have signed on to this potential pro tour uh, if and when it does happen, that they're saying that, you know, I'll retire and I'll, I'll compete in that thing. There's more money potentially if the sponsorships are there than what they make, uh, what they make uh, on, on the World Cup tour. And keep in mind that, in, especially in the U.S., only the top, top, top tier athletes are funded 100% by the organization. So if you're if you're a B team or a C team skier, you're you're coming up with most of the money that's required to get you where you need to go. Sure, the coaching and the training facilities are provided, um, but in terms of your living expenses, uh, equipment, you've got to secure your own sponsorships and that type of thing. It, it's not an easy road road to hope really at all. Well, Brad, Bob, you guys got some stuff to ship, and thanks a lot for kicking butt down in Killington. Thanks for being here. We enjoy it, and uh, let's all think snow. Remix is made possible with support from VPR and their members. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you chug down your podcasts. Also, ratings and reviews are appreciated if you're the helpful type. Special shout to the guys at my local ski shop, Waterbury Sports, in downtown Waterbury, Vermont, for helping me keep my various kits in working order. Too many hobbies. Follow them 
or the show, or both, on Instagram, if you're addicted. Have a happy holidays, and if you're lucky, I'll get the time to reprise the holiday special episode. Last year's was episode 12. It's kind of goofball. That's it. It was nice to see Northeast Slopes on the drive over here. You ever get out there for lunch? Uh, you know, one of the best days of skiing I've had in years was actually their uh, end of the year party two years ago. I believe it was like April 1st or 2nd. Um, they have no snowmaking, so it was a very unique experience to feel natural snow in its entirety underneath our feet. I think it was a $3 lift ticket that afternoon with a 50 cent grilled cheese. And uh, Wade Pearson actually started up the lift for me, the, the fastest rope toe in the world. And being a kid that grew up on rope toes, it was significant. And a uh, little known uh, trivia up there is the movie Beetlejuice with Michael Keaton was filmed up there years and years ago. Something I didn't know until I moved up uh, to this neck of the woods. And there were several dads in certainly various states of mind that afternoon out in Beetlejuice costumes ripping up the slopes on their skis because uh, several of uh, the scenes in the movie were filmed in Corinth and, uh, and in the surrounding area. So it's got quite a bit of nostalgia for the locals up there. But uh, the world needs more northeast slopes. I grew up at a really small ski area in Massachusetts with rope is a very tiny hill and uh, the ski industry needs more tiny hills that serve their communities um, not just the big resorts as well.